right in the corner where you are. So enjoy. It's another episode of Where You Are. In their book, Consequential Strangers, The Power of People Who Don't Seem to Matter But Really Do, Melinda Blau and Karen Fingerman explore the idea of those important encounters that we have with strangers on a regular basis with whom we actually have some form of contact, be it short conversations, a little bit longer conversations. And we, these are strangers that we do get to know on some level, but they don't really become a part of our intimate circle. And the book explores how our relationships with these people matter, why they matter, and the huge portion of the pie of relationships that these kinds of relationships take up. In other words, <laughs> to put it more uh, succinctly, these people are a bigger part of our lives than we realize. We come into contact with consequential strangers a lot, and sometimes in the week, more often than we do our most intimate friends. So I wanted to explore this in a series of podcasts, three, and not back-to-back, but over, you know, spaced out over time. I wanted to bring in some consequential strangers and get to know them better, and I'm starting with a young woman named Kara, who would like to not use her last name, and she works in a restaurant that I frequent. Over the past year or so, we've had conversations that I have found so thought-provoking and interesting and, frankly, enlightening about subjects that I don't normally talk about with complete strangers. We also discovered that we have some acquaintances in common, uh, acquaintances based on a part-time job that I had for a while, and she used to work there. It's a long story. Who cares? But I invited her over to have a chat Uh, with Fox and me, about some of the things that she had discussed with me previously. And, you know, it's everything from resting bitch face (laughs) to theology to relationships. It's a very interesting conversation. It kind of just sprawled all over the place, but I really enjoyed it, and I think that you will too. But before we talk to Kara, let's talk to Fox for a minute. Hey, Fox. Hi, Jimmy. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So, I just watched the trailer for Wonder Woman 84. 1984. 1984, about four or five times, and then I had you watch it as well. Uh Uh-huh. So, you had a take on that. What is your take on that? Because, you know, Steve Trevor is in the trailer, but he was killed in the first one. That's true. He He was Scotsman right in front of our eyes. Uh, because you said kilt. Uh, oh, no. Ha ha. But you're you're an expert on all things comics. Oh uh, well, a few things in DC comics, and I haven't been following the up to date in like a year or so. But yeah, yeah, I know a lot about comics, and I saw some interesting things in that trailer. Uh, in particular, they they kept showing this golden haired man on the TV. Uh, I thought that was G. Gordon Godfrey initially, which would have been really interesting. Um, just to give you guys on the podcast an idea of who that is, um, if you remember in the Justice League movie, there was that invasion. That invasion was from Apocalypse, and the big bad behind all of this is supposed to be Darkseid. Well, at one point in the comics, 
instead of going for like a military invasion, he tried to go for a charm offensive, and G. Gordon Godfrey came down to Earth as like a televangelist trying to convert people against superheroes in a general sense. And sometimes it has to do with other things involving worshipping Darkseid, and sometimes it doesn't, but that would have been interesting. But I've since looked up the cast list, and I, uh, or at least what we know of the cast list uh, for Wonder Woman 1984. And by looked up, I mean like two seconds on Wikipedia. So, <laughs> so none of this is official. That's 21st century research, right? That is 21st century research, isn't it? Well... Based off of that, I don't think it's G. Gordon Godfrey anymore. I think they list someone playing Maxwell Lord, which could be really interesting for two reasons. Uh, Number one, he would fit sort of that same archetype of the sleazy man on the TV. Um, Maxwell Lord back in, I want to say the late 80s or the early 90s, like around the time Superman was killed, he was something of a financier for the Justice League. He would totally fit the 80s aesthetic because he was he was always described as like a used car salesman of a human being. Um, but also, he was never described as a good character, but back in about 2006, he was made into an outright villain and, and uh, was explicitly given some low-key telepathic abilities. So I think... Here's Fox's big prediction. My big prediction... I don't think Chris Pine is real. I think he well, is... Well, Chris Pine is real. Well, Chris Pine is real, but I don't think his character within the narrative will be real. I think Chris Pine's character is an illusion that Maxwell Lord is casting in Wonder Woman's head. So you don't think Steve Trevor is real? I don't think Steve in Trevor is real in 1984. No, I don't think he's real in 1984. And I predict when, she's, when he says to her... You know what you have to do. Mm-hmm. I think that it means that she has to get rid of him. Not, well, yeah, in her head. Like, she's mm-hmm. got to purge him. Um, I'm already crying. I'm I'm forgetting the natures of the lasso that have been established in the movie so far. It is the lasso of truth, yes. right? It compels people to tell the truth. Based on her, the creator's, uh, you know... A sort of invention of the lie detector test. He right. was one of the earlier, earliest. Right. Yes. But within within the last movie, we established it as yeah. a truth telling yes. thing. I'm curious if she would ever wrap him in it. Ooh. Because if he's not real, that could introduce some problems. That would be interesting. <laughs> that would be. Oh, that would be interesting. Well, we'll have to see what happens because it doesn't come out until June of 2020. Well, we are waiting in anticipation. Or as Barbara Walters would say, 2020. We quiver with anticipation. That. So we did see a movie this week that I sobbed through called Waves. And I, being the stoic thing that I am, teared up a few times. (laughs) It's a really powerful movie so evocative like it visually at one of the reviews i posted it on facebook one of the reviews that i read talked about how the filmmaker whose name i'm forgetting right now i'll google it in a minute um google it on your phone sure was the filmmaker uses like images and color and motion to really evoke emotion in the viewer so that it's not so much about what they're saying he's able to create that emotion through the the medium itself, which I think is so powerful. Trey Edward Schultz is the director. Trey Edward Schultz, yeah. I was I was phys- I was moved. Oh yes, by by the film, by not just what was being said, but 
but just by the actual colors and the visuals, it was really powerful. The colors, the motion that the that the camera delivers and captures, it's there's a lot going on there. Yeah, I would recommend that movie. And also, it's a technical marvel. Some of the, I mean, maybe other films have done it before, but for for going to see a melodrama, they pull some complicated tricks with the camera because you have to remember this is. This is Hollywood, or at least Hollywood adjacent. That camera is a heavy thing, and it moves through certain scenes like butter. You are right about that. Mm -hmm. It really does. I didn't think about how complicated that would be, because it's Mm -hmm. basically spiraling a lot, and within and without of cars, and... (laughs) In and, small spaces and crowded spaces, and at times I don't know if it's. Oh, I mean, I would you would have to do like a literal frame for frame analysis, but it's it's going in really tight spaces around itself as well. Yeah, so yeah. it's not like there's a tripod sitting there. It must be like a crane arm or something. Yeah. That reminds me of when we went to see Dolly Parton at the Grand Ole Opry, <laughs> and that dadgum crane was in front of us because NBC was filming it, and yeah. so many times the crane was blocking the view. When we, when I watched, I know you didn't watch it, but when I watched it on NBC, uh-huh. it wasn't even the show that we saw, because she did two shows, mm-hmm. and the first show, at the end of it, I remember her remarking that there were some sound problems. We did not, I don't think I heard them. But I think she and the band had some issues with their earpieces. So the second show is the one that ended up being on um, TV. Mm -hmm. But that's okay because we saw it. Who cares? But it was great. It was a great show. But that crane sometimes got in the way. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how it is as an actor when you're in something like um, Waves with such intricate camera work happening. Mm -hmm. How do you stay focused and centered on your character? Well, I... And again, this is us having no experience in this field. Hey, listen, I have a theater degree. I am so well-trained from 1999. And then I I went to work at Borders Books and Music with it, so... I imagine it's got to be like animation where they just storyboard where your attention has to be at any given moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What else did we do this... Oh, we went to see... um, Sugar in Our Wounds. Sugar in Our Wounds. I'm so glad that we had that experience. I'm so happy that... Uh, that we were able to talk to Damone and Carlton before the premiere. Exactly. I'm so happy for them, and I'm going to continue to support Birmingham Black Repertory Theater Company. I encourage everyone to do that. I'm so glad I saw that show. It was a story that needed to be told. Absolutely. And uh, another thing that happened that night was we were just, we got there really early, so I hate going, I didn't want to go in too early. So we were in Five Points. We walked around a little bit. We resisted insomnia cookies because mm-hmm. I'm trying to watch my calories. But as we were walking past Charlemagne Records, this reporter, I can't remember her name, but she was from CBS 42, grabs us and says, oh, did you know that Charlemagne Records is closing? They've been in business for 42 years. Mm-hmm. I've been going there since I was in college. Not regularly, every week or anything, but I love that place. I've been there many, many times over my over 20 years. And I've not been there as many times, but I've had good experiences when I went. Yeah, and I read the article, or she said they were closing. I, I have to look it up. I don't know if they're closing, if they've already closed. Somewhere I read they were closing at the end of, quote, the month. But yeah. I don't know if that was November or December. But so we were on CBS 42 News. We were, and I managed to almost break into song about love is a many splendored thing. Oh my thing. gosh. Fox bought a record there. A while ago, because mm-hmm. he loves the movie Love is a Many Splendored Thing. I acknowledge that it was not well reviewed then or now, but it is my <laughs> trash. So, anyway, we saw the soundtrack mm-hmm. 
at Charlemagne and Fox bought it. So he's telling the story to the news reporter. I thought he was literally going to start singing it because he was so in... He was focused on what he was talking about. And, and it's just... I'm not going to sing it now for obvious no. reasons. Oh. <laughs> for obvious reasons, we won't mm-hmm. get too deep into it. But it's just the opening croon alone. And they repeat it so many times in the movie. But it's... The theme song to that is just... It sticks in the head and it's this big sweeping... Da, da, da. I fell asleep in that movie. I, I mean, I did too, and I do too. Yeah. But it, there's, it has a place in my heart. Well, what's the next movie you want to go see at the theater? Is there anything coming out that you want to see besides Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 1984. I'm sure there's something between now and then. I can't think of anything. Not well, we have coming up the wonderful Kara, whose last name shall remain... Unsaid. Unsaid. And I wanted to throw this in because in the brief little intro that I did, I talked about, you know, interviewing consequential strangers. I wouldn't call Kara a stranger anymore, Mm -hmm. uh, but she did start out that way as a consequential stranger. What did you think about that? Did you want to say anything about her interview? Is there anything that you want? We did edit out a lot of that, you guys, but was there anything you wanted to throw in that we edited out (laughs) or mention? I will say that I was a little disappointed because I had some nice moments in the things that we ended up editing out, but... Listen, here's the truth. I'm going to be very honest. Part of what we edited out was at Kara's request. Totally, and just minor little stuff. The majority of what we edited out was because I went on this tangent that I I don't I don't want to publicize. Right. <laughs> just to put what was that laugh? Just to <clears throat> it was political but not really. It just I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel like I'd thought it out. And then what happened was because I brought it up, Kara and Fox both attached d- different thoughts to that train and it expanded beyond the scope. And I just didn't feel comfortable with the whole thing, my part of it, so they had to go their part had to go too. Right. <laughs> and that is a big thing I wanted to get to is that Kara is more than willing and and more than happy to come talk with us again. Right. So, so it'll be an ongoing yes, conversation. Yes. And if I may call a moment of uh, listener engagement, uh, if you hear anything that you want us to expand upon later on, be sure to let us know somehow. I mean, Absolutely. And if you'd like to come on to where you are, the podcast, you are more than welcome. I will hook up the microphone and we can talk and chat till we're blue in the face. All right. All right. And now it's time for Kara's Corner, as we're calling it. Kara's <laughs> Corner. Let's go. We are here in uh, my apartment with Fox and Kara. We're going to call this episode Kara's Corner. Hi, Fox here. Hi, this is Kara. And Kara and I have known each other for probably about a, what, a year yeah, I guess it has been long. And we sort of know each other casually, but every time we see each other, I'm just more and more impressed by what an interesting woman she is. So I've invited her to the podcast just to have a conversation. So K- K- I keep wanting to do the old Southern <laughs> woman thing. Kara. Kara <laughs> is thinking about dating, right? Yeah. What are the? She's 29. What are the challenges that you're facing right now? Okay, so... The biggest factor is probably a toss-up between my spiritual views and then just my personality because I'm what can be called a highly sensitive person, which is a clinical term, and you can Google it, and there people have written on it. But I'm like a very deep thinker. I'm very emotional, and 
I can a lot of times be accused of just taking life too seriously, but I would attribute that to having experienced a lot of serious things in life and just, uh, just really overall trying to learn everything that I can. There are a lot of things that I enjoy, but I also just find deep meaning in those things. One example is like I was talking about going ice skating today and I started doing that because uh, I was watching some videos recently on YouTube of, of Olympic competitive skaters and I've always really enjoyed the idea of like using a movie soundtrack piece to a routine and I'll, I'll listen to pieces like that and I'll get choked up and stuff, but it just, it's just because it speaks to me a certain way and I find the idea of being, doing a routine to something like that is really beautiful and personal to me. So I, like, I come at things like that with a lot of depth, I guess, that a lot of people, like they just have to have a good time and not think about it too much. Which a lot of intensity, fun. I can yeah. get that. A lot of intensity. Yeah, and I'm, I'm an INFJ or INFP, somewhere on the cusp of that. Mm -hmm. So, and we are definitely the oddballs. I'm an <laughs> INF, INFP myself. Yeah. So you don't, are you the kind of person who doesn't really like small talk? Right, it like, ew, it grates on my spirit. <laughs> So when you're trying to, well, first of all, how did your parents deal with you as a child? Were you like this as a child? Did they? Yeah, I think they were largely mystified, especially since I was, I was the oldest. So it's like they get a double whammy with all this first time parenting. And then how I'm like, I'm just a very, I'm just a mystery all around, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, and plus I cried a lot. I'm told that I cried three days straight. I don't know how true or false that is. Cried like as a baby? Yeah. Or, yeah. Like I, th I think I was colicky, so that was a challenge all in itself. Well, how did you enjoy the, the skating today? It was, um, it was not what I really pictured it would be because I was very, I was shaky from the time that I started getting out on there. And the skates were not very, they weren't very good for what I had intended to try out but I was glad to get out there and just kind of experience it as a whole again. I think I do this myself like I like for I wish that every day could be meaningful. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I wish I yeah. wish <laughs> and I do try to give myself these challenges to kind of suck the marrow out every day like what can I do differently today? What can I do out of the ordinary? Do you do that kind of thing? Or was that like a sort of meticulous plan that you had to go skating to? It is probably more along the lines of the latter. I, I tend to like hyper focus on certain things when I really get um, interested in it. So I, I'll try to learn everything about it and test things out or just follow this single stream of thought and just see where it goes and tune out absolutely everything else. So where else, where else has that intentionality or whatever driven you to, is it, does this uh, show up in your career, in your relationships, or is it more of a personal thing? I don't really see it playing out in my relationships so much, I guess because every relationship is so different. Um, but in, and not really in, I, I wouldn't say I've gotten started on my career either, but 
definitely what I would like to go into, like the um, the theological studies, uh, uh, like research. When when I get interested in a topic, I will just dig up everything that I can on it for as long as that interest carries me. Mm-hmm. So you were talking the other night when we were having that conversation about theology and uh, kind of going into library science. Mm-hmm. Can I say that? Is yeah. that okay? And you were also, I don't, we got there by talking about how hard it is for you to find the kind of guy right. <laughs> that you want. So before we get back to the theology, what is, I can see that someone like a very serious, intelligent, deep thinking young woman like yourself might have a hard time finding, you're, and you're straight, right? Right. That would, that it could be, hard, it could, it seems like it might be harder for you to, to find a guy who's like that. Is that what you want? Someone yeah. who's like you? I mean, I, I would like a certain amount of balance and I, I think I would enjoy being with a joker if, like if it was the kind of humor that actually jives with me and if he could be at least somewhat sensitive to when it's appropriate to like joke and not joke. <laughs> yeah. What kind of humor do you like? What do you think is um, funny? What's a funny movie you like? Or a comedian? I, I really like um, Princess Bride. Okay. Um, I like... I like that movie. I like well-done puns. Like, okay. It, it has to be this kind of opportunity thing where it just works really well. And I'll, I'll just be really impressed by whoever executes it. <laughs> so what are you watching... Oh, just tell me really quick because there's so much out there. What are you watching... Now, do you watch TV at all or Netflix or any of that stuff? I haven't much up till recently. Uh, I still don't much, I would say, because I just get absorbed in my work life. Um, but I uh, recently discovered Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, and fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, where have I been like all my life? But <laughs> It uh, is a trip. I'll give yeah. it that. Yeah, but what I'll tell you what really got me into it was uh, I've always loved Patrick Stewart uh, and Ian McKellen, of course. I love their their friendship um, and I love their work. Um, it was the episode where uh, where Captain Picard is talking to someone about anger and hate, uh, and he tells them, um, "I think that when someone has been angry for a very long time, they get comfortable." feeling that way and they don't remember what it is to feel anything else Mm -hmm. something like that i know i didn't get it exactly but i was my reaction was this is incredibly profound and i need more of this in my (laughs) life (laughs) yeah patrick stewart really knew what he was doing there delivering that he's just an awesome human being all around Mm -hmm. does anything make you what makes you angry or are you an angry person i I wouldn't say I'm an angry person. I would say I have anger about Uh various things. Sure. (laughs) Like my friend that I was just skating with, he said something. Oh, I was, um, I was taking a picture of the rink, but he thought I was taking a selfie and he said something about like angry Kara because I've got this great resting bitch face going on (laughs) and I can joke about that sometimes, but there are just times when I'm like, Really? I've been dealing with this my whole freaking life, and I haven't fixed it by now, so I'm not likely to in the future. <laughs> Give me a break. But also, like, I get that I can't expect everyone to read my mind. I made the mistake one time of uh, telling a student 
that she had RBF. And I thought... <laughs> why every, would you do this? Well, because she did. And <laughs> but she why? Kept, she, <laughs> she kept looking at me and I was like, are you mad at me? Did I say something? Uh, well, yeah. that's legit, I think. Well, and then she said, no, it's just my face. And I said, oh, you have RBF. And we laughed and moved on. A year later, she yeah. came to me and said, Mr. Ellenberg, I have to tell you that you really hurt my feelings when you did that. And I'm like, well, you know what? I could have been fired for that. I learned a lesson. I would never do that again. Good. I thought it was funny, but she didn't. Mm. Yeah. It depends on what stage she is in dealing with it. Yeah. <laughs> she hasn't accepted it fully that she has uh, RBF. A little further along this 12-step process. I love RBF. I wish I had I it. Too. I like, don't. I, and I mean... Like, it genuinely is, in your case, I can understand that, because you you had to be interacting with her, and you wanted to make sure you're on a certain level with her, but if a guy at the bar is telling me, like, what are you so sour for? I'm like, none of your effing Ooh. business. Do you guys do that? <laughs> One time at work, yeah. Uh -huh. Like, it, at the restaurant I work at, I'm fine with saying it's a restaurant, mm -hmm. but, um... He said, why, you're, why are you so sour? Yeah. Oh, that's so gross. Yeah. And I I wish I had the guts to respond a little more snarkily than I actually did. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, when we were at the restaurant where you the other night, mm -hmm. and you were getting off work, and this customer actually propositioned you, yeah. right? Asked you out. Yeah, he. I think he was this guy who didn't have a lot of experience he came he was very polite and nice but i think he like he didn't have enough of a clue to realize you don't ask someone that in their place of work um and you would think yeah. people would know that yeah i mean he he also possibly might have been a bit younger too mm -hmm. uh, plus he was with someone who was probably his mom and i'm like Ew. oh yeah. that's weird well, well it was I Honestly, I could see certain <laughs> mother figures being like, oh, come on, honey. Yeah, get out there. Express yeah. yourself and not realizing. Yeah. Oh, help Dating us all. Dating sucks all around. But, <laughs> um, you know, you present younger. Like, he probably thinks you're younger. Because yeah. I did not know you were 29. Yeah. I really thought at first you were like 22 or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Total baby face. Now, after talking <laughs> to you for a while, you seem a lot older. Mm -hmm. Even than 29. <laughs> People Which, tell me that too. <laughs> you're like this conundrum when it comes to age. <laughs> but I did ask you the other night, and I'm going to ask you again since we're, okay. on, when, since we're on tape. Sure. Um, you don't use like dating apps, right? Like no, I don't even know what they, Tinder, what are they, Match.com? Uh, there, there is Tinder, there is Match.com. I will say this. Um, I think it was actually the day that we talked. I just... I, I created a fake profile on Match.com, and I just wanted to see, like, okay, what kind of guys who identify as Christian are out there who who also are kind of a little more progressive, who just on on profile might look like they think a bit more like me. It, it would still take me a lot to actually go through with the whole dating app thing to, to seriously find someone to get out there and meet. But I guess I was kind of dipping my toes in the water because I was, I've also been listening to a book by these uh, professionals who I, who I view pretty highly. Of this book, it was uh, Henry Cloud. He was the writer of Boundaries, mm -hmm. one of them. And he wrote this book called How to Get a Date Worth Keeping. And I've flipped through it before, but uh, 
lately just with being about to turn 30 and being about to cry whenever I see cute babies. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I've just been like, you know, maybe I'm not quite ready to commit yet, but I need to kind of get on the track maybe. Mm -hmm. um, I borrowed it through my library app to listen to on audio. And there's a section in the book where they talk about the different options you have for meeting people and the using dating apps or services is one of them. And they're like, get over the stigma, get out there and meet some people. And the first try is not going to be the last right. try. Mm -hmm. So you got to go through a whole lot of like trial and error. Um, so just, just experiment and don't think this is going to be the one. Like don't date to marry, just date yeah. to meet people. There are yeah. going to be a lot of false starts. Yeah. Yes. And right. kind of broken hearts along the way too. Yeah. biggest deterrence to even like considering dating apps or dating in general has been that the few dates that I have had were just not experiences I'd want to repeat mm, yeah. and I hate the idea of giving someone bad news like so how about next time and I'm like how about not <laughs> like the first date I went on I had a crush on this guy, actually, and the date itself was great, but he, like, it, it was just really hard to listen to his, this sounds mean, but it, I guess his goofy laugh kind of brought some <laughs> reality to the picture that I had oh. of him, <laughs> um, and he also kept calling me beautiful to my mm. face. And, uh, like, there's just always been something about that that made me kind of uncomfortable. I think I've been able to pick up on what that is the more in more recent years. Um, one, just not being able to handle compliments well. Two, this is going to sound a little arrogant, but, like, I know. I know that Good I'm attractive. Yeah. Excellent. What I want to hear from people is... Like, what qualities do I have about my personality that you actually value? Amen. So, And yeah. that's not too much to want, and you deserve, we all deserve that. It I is. mean, it's deserved. You are definitely, I mean, it doesn't mean anything coming from me, but <laughs> you are, like, so unique as a person, don't you think? Certainly, yeah. Like, you're, it's your intelligence, there's just something about, you have an energy around you, like, I don't mean, I'm not trying to be all no, new age I, guru I or anything. But you really have this energy around you. When you come into the room, it's definitely Kara's energy. You know what I mean? Don't you agree, Fox? Yes, yes. And, and even beyond that, just talking with you every time, I've, I, I pick up on something else. I, just because it's something I want to get to while, while within our time. Last time we, we talked, you said you were reading the Bible cover to cover. Where are you in that? Okay, so um, the, the plan that I'm using, it jumps around... It, it like it keeps the point in time, but it'll look at that same point in different books. Sure. However, it lines up chronologically. So like the year through Bible, the chronological plan. Um, okay. 
and that's on the YouVersion app that I'm using. So it's just before the Babylonian exile. That is Josiah, King Josiah just died. So his son, I can't remember his name. Josiah's father was Ammon, but I cannot remember his son's name. We're not gonna be able to help you out. Yeah, I know. Oh, I'm sorry. See, okay, <laughs> one thing that I realized this time reading through was how confusing the names of the kings of both Israel and Judah are. Just reading everything through in that timeline helped me grasp the like who's whose son or who's the king of Israel at the time that so and so is the time of, uh, is the king of Judah. So I had a better sense of that going through and then I got a sense of the progression of the reason that God gets mad and brings all or allows all the um, tribulation to come on to Israel and Judah. Why does he get so mad? Well, a large part of it is the child sacrifices, which you don't hear about much from the pulpits. I believe it was King Ahaz who uh, set that precedent in Israel or Judah rather. Um, He's the king of Judah and his son is Hezekiah. Hezekiah is one of the good kings and he instates some reforms so things get a little better for a little while but then there's you always have to balance things out so his son is evil and during Josiah's reign God says Josiah is not going to see all of the devastation that I'll allow to come to Judah because of his heart and the state of it and his devotion to me. Um, but after Josiah dies, everything goes down. Oh dear. Yeah. What made you do that? Why are you reading? Why do you feel the need to do that? Um, well, I started at the beginning of the year with a group of ladies. One of these ladies is a friend, has been a friend of mine for a few years and we've gone to church together we both have gone through some disillusion ever since or I would say before me too and church too uh, really got news press like we we are really concerned with getting to the truth of things really knowing what God wants for us as people apart from what we've been told before and there, you know, there's all these different schools of thought, these different interpretations that all the pastors and clergy, like they've got access to all the academic conversation and stuff on that, but they're not really sharing it with everybody week to week, Sunday to Sunday. Uh, they're sharing their own views. And then they've got leadership in place that is meant to support their interpretation or their doctrine. They're not really, they're not equipping the people to really examine things for the truth of it. Mm-hmm. They're teaching people to to be loyal, essentially. To them and yeah. their view, yeah. their interpretation. And, and that's a very general statement. Sure. But it's far too common. Like, it it happens way too much. And you see that in the Church 2 movement. Like, you see how John MacArthur is going to tell Beth Moore to go home, but not say anything about how Andy Savage, this clergy abuser, is starting his own church. Mm -hmm. Like, something's wrong and off balance with that. So... What 
can the normal everyday <laughs> Christian do in that situation? I mean, do you stop going to church? Do you take up your own Bible study, form your own? You, I mean, you can do that like what my friends and I are doing. Like, you can read the Bible for yourself, read it like it's any other book, cover to cover, to get a sense of the narrative and historical context. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and I'm not... I'm not at all saying that's easy because, you know, it's, I know it's a big and intimidating book. And there's lots of versions of it, too. So. There are, yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing you can do is look at the history of the translations, mm-hmm. uh, see why different people came up with it, supported it. I've tended to like the Holman Christian Standard version because that's the one that uses the name Yahweh most in the way that the experiences that I've had with the name Yahweh are very special to me. So I felt like God wanted me to know him that, in that special way. When you say that they've been special to you, like Yahweh in particular, mm-hmm. can you share yeah. that? So Yahweh is generally the name that is translated as I Am, how people refer to God as the great I Am. Um, I, I think I mentioned the other night, I... I grew up in church, but this one night after third grade, I just randomly wondered, what if God's not real? And it was the most horrifying thought that I'd ever had. It made me wish that I could like unthink it. I got this sickness in my stomach, and it was the worst summer of my life because I was so incredibly anxious. I wanted to be back in school, back in Bible class. I went to a Christian school and I just, I wanted answers. Like I wanted help for that. That lasted till 12th grade. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like I know that I was pretty unhealthy because of all the anxiety that I had from that. And no one knew either. Like I didn't share that with anybody until much, much later. That's a long time. It, it is. is a long time. That's an long. existential crisis. It, it was. Yeah. It was. like uh, I'm sure I had an ulcer at some point. <laughs> and during that time, I started reading, too. Um, I just, like, I kind of fell off the wagon during First Chronicles or something because the stories do start repeating themselves, and it felt <laughs> redundant. Um, but you made it pretty far, though. Yeah. Got, yeah, yeah. As, <laughs> for the age that I was. <laughs> I mean, someone. Someone said once, I think when I was like nine years old, I was just worried about when I was going to have my next ice cream cone or something. (laughs) But I'm all like, oh my God, I'm going to hell. Um, Well, I had, I remember when I I was uh, 16 or 17, I had read Ayn Rand. I don't know if you ever read mm, it. And I became an atheist Mm. and uh, I was standing in the shower one day and I was trying to imagine what it would be like. I'm not an atheist anymore, but at that time I was and I was trying to imagine what it would be like to be dead and be nothing. Just why I'm imagining this, I don't know. And I had my first ever panic attack mm. in the shower. Like I almost passed out. I thought this is horrible because I was trying to imagine death. Yeah. But I really admire people. I just said that to say this. I mm. admire people like you and like my mom and other people I know who have a lot of faith. I feel like I believe everything now. Mm. I believe Buddhism. I believe Christianity. I believe. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't not. I do. I'm not a non-believer. Mm-hmm. But I do not have the kind of faith that I think that you talk about or that, that I know that my mom has or that, you know. So there's something that's very interesting to me talking to you. First of all, I don't feel like you're trying to convert me, which is great. You might be. It wasn't but, always that way. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I do think the most, if you were, the most clever kind of conversion would be whatever you're doing. Oh, because yeah. 
you're intelligent, it makes sense, and you're it's real, it's organic. The point <laughs> is, I had I was grappling with issues about yeah. mortality and faith when I was a teenager too. Did you ever, Fox? Uh, you just were raised a heathen, I, I mean, I was raised a complete heathen. I was, I, w I was raised in D.C. I knew that a lot of people around me were Jewish, but otherwise we didn't really engage much with any practice. Um, I went through the death panic attack thing at some point. I do remember that. I think I went through that, through that a few times. Yeah. But... Um, I've more or less kept my naivete about a lot of it. <laughs> it doesn't... Well, we have gone to uh, a church here in town a few times called Beloved Community Church. Beloved Community Church, yes. Wonderful minister there named uh, Jennifer Sanders, and she's a, a lesbian. But she's a lesbian minister, and she's... That's what drew me to her, but she's like a community activist, and yeah. she's a great speaker, and every time I hear her speak, I'm moved. Like, I, I go to the service, and I'll cry. Mm. Do you get physically moved by God? Do you f there, there have been times, yeah. And, and that's actually a part of the story. Um, I, I go on long rabbit trails, sorry. No, um, please do. But... And we'll have to edit out the one I just went down. No, I no it's fine. You. At that point, in middle school and high school, I'm essentially agnostic. Um, but I do have these, like, this two-sided frame of mind, like, Okay, if God is real, and then if God's not real. I, in 12th grade, I did start believing again, because at that time, I saw belief as an act of obedience, and I knew that if God is there, he wanted me to obey and show faith by believing. If I was to have, go through that whole phase again, I don't think that would be enough to bring me out of that at this point, but for that time, I think God showed me just enough for what I needed at that time. I also knew that there are a lot of things that make sense when you do it God's way. And I'm not talking about women preachers going home. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about how we treat each other. Yeah. How to show love to each other, to treat each other with dignity and respect. And a lot of other things that I can discuss later. Um, but Yeah, we're going to do more than one of these. Oh, so. certainly, yes. Yeah, You're I'll, coming back. I'll definitely enjoy that. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'll come back. ago I was at this point where let's see this was 2015 this is really significant because I had just done what I considered the first real act of obedience toward God in my life which was leaving my boyfriend at the time but after that I I got all this support from people that I had never had before um who knew that like that I was just being obedient to God and really pursuing a love relationship with God too. That was something that I'd never experienced before. And it was just this incredible summer that I was, uh, I think that was when I went back to another church and I was just spending a lot of time with these two friends of mine who were, uh, it was a pastor and his wife. They had this very, what seemed to me, this very intimate relationship with God that I had always wanted, 
Like, they talked about God talking to them and just really communicating and being on a relational level with them. And I had just, this one point, I had just asked God to communicate with me and to let me hear his voice. And I started having all these these strange experiences with the name I Am. The, the song, Great I Am, became oh, so very, beautiful. very special to me. Like, I, I started getting these chill bumps every time I heard it, and the chorus would build up. And so I started wondering, like, why is God doing all this around the name I Am? Um, and I feel like this is kind of an inversion of your story with you being in the shower, but this one night, I'm <laughs> in the shower just thinking about God and normal things like that. Um, As one does. I know. Um, and I just, I wondered why I am. And, like, I swear, I'm, I'm probably washing my hair and stuff at the time, and then it just hits me, and I'm like, because I needed to know that he is there. He's telling me I am here. Yeah. And that just... That's powerful. Yeah. It just, it made me so grateful because from that I could see that God has been pursuing me and that he wanted to be with me and he wanted me to be with him and to want him. Like, I really believe that God wants us to want him but he's not going to force us into a relationship like someone toxic would. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a beautiful way to look at it. Certainly. Because that is toxic for someone to force. Yeah. But how do you reconcile, I guess, your spiritual beliefs, your religious beliefs, with where we are and how you treat people right now in this American moment? Well, I'll say again, I think that if everyone read the Bible cover to cover, it would make a huge difference. Also... I think there's a lot of tribalism that surrounds either side. I think I think a lot of people, they want to belong to some group, so they will find a box to fit in on some level. And I've been guilty of that. Uh, so I've just been trying to go in the opposite direction, not passively where I'm like, just finding a new energy to translate into, but really think and consider why I believe what I believe. And I think that's good for anybody to do. And I also believe that what you believe affects the way you live everyday life. So I think if you go to church on Sunday and you say God is love and he commands us to love everybody, yada, 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 then, and you you talk about how you try to do that in everyday life, but then Monday to Saturday, you're gonna be, like, not listening to people who really need you to listen to why they're having these situations that you don't agree with how they're they're responding to. Like, I'm talking about... I'll just say, like, I still really, really struggle with the idea of abortion. Um, I don't think that people choose that for fun. Um, I think they choose it because they really consider it the best solution they have available to whatever problem they're facing. Um, A lot of people 
in the church are not going to talk about or think about how there are men out there who really will target women and for their own sick enjoyment will get them pregnant just to have someone that they can keep around and control um, or however they can dip out um, from their lives and like, like they either don't care about whatever they're leaving behind or they take enjoyment in leaving all that behind or just playing with people's feelings because yeah. that gives them what they consider to be power and well I think that bringing up abortion is definitely that was like I think a signal to Americans from early on like from when the, from even before Roe v. Wade but the, the way that we all are unable to have civilized discussions about abortion mm -hmm. was a sign <laughs> just is, a, it was a, a what's to come <laughs> that is something that they do teach in history classes right now in uh, both in high schools and I mean, I don't think before high school, but certainly high school and college. When I took history classes, I learned that abortion helped crystallize an, an, an evangelical political movement. And it right. created the single-issue voter in a way that wasn't there before. And it that, yeah. is, that is a part of a canon there. Mm -hmm. And that's, to me, that I've never understood that. And I know that some people listening to this, I can even think of certain people I know. You know, I, I know how steadfast people are on this abortion issue mm -hmm. i always tell my students i don't want them to write about abortion because everybody's so passionate about it i don't know how you could write an objective paper well but also at your stage they they could probably pull an abortion paper out of somewhere <laughs> that's true well okay so let's we'll get to a place where we can wrap it up are there any last thoughts that you have fox was there anything you wanted to ask kara that we didn't ask her just as long as you're comfortable i'd, I'd love to have you back again Definitely, I'd love to. Okay. I'm honored. You need your own podcast, by the way. <laughs> because, I mean, you really you have a great speaking voice. It's very deep. Oh, I like that. You. And you just speak very, you know, you notice I have a lot of pauses when I sleep. You know, you, <laughs> you just, it just comes right out. It flows. The word is considered. Yeah, it's considered. Mm -hmm. It's really nice. So let me ask you one more thing before we go. If you... What do you want to do? If you could do anything you want to do tomorrow, are you going to go back to ice skating? <laughs> if you didn't have to work or anything tomorrow, what would you really, really, really want to do? Well, I don't have to work tomorrow. Oh, well, you don't oh, have to work. There you go. So what are you going to do tomorrow? <laughs> hmm. God. Whenever people ask me things like that, I just blank out. It's okay. And you I don't guess, have to answer I guess it's because I, like, I just get absorbed in my work life. Are you going to read the Bible? Yes, definitely. I need to... I need to set up a routine for, like, just every day. But Amen to that. I've been, like, because I've also been, you know, doing the, uh, working on the Hebrew apps that I've, I think I mentioned that too. Yeah, you did. Yeah, learning Hebrew, the verbal and the um, written characters. So I'll devote some time to that. And I just started this book called The Secret Chord by Geraldine Brooks. Uh, she's a great author. Um, and it's... It's a David narrative told from the perspective of the prophet Nathan. Uh, oh, cool. And David is not the uh, favorite Bible figure of mine that he once was. But uh, the, it is a very, very thoughtful character composite, I guess you could say. Uh, and so I'm really interested in that. I just finished the second chapter. 
just so just you know just a little light reading tomorrow yeah. <laughs> just a little. let me ask you this because i'm really curious and then we'll wrap it up do you have some sort of daily ritual or spiritual practice that you follow like prayer or meditation or is there anything that you do Not... that you would recommend other people do no, I've tried to do it. I like I try to get on the Bible app every day and read the um, the organized assigned reading portions, but I'm not good at doing that every day. Um, I pretty much I live by more impulse than what I would like to. I guess I just do what I want to at the time, whether that's listening to and or binging the Bible for Normal People podcast or digging up something um at a certain point in time in the bible and in all my life's not about the bible either no, <laughs> we know that that's just yeah. what we're focusing on tonight uh, but yeah yeah i just feel like i've talked about it you're not a bible thumper <laughs> no i think it's fascinating no i really do and i know that's not everything yeah. but i know it's a it's very important to you it is like i just gotten to this point in my life where I am questioning ever, almost everything that I was told from the pulpit. So I want to be responsible for what I believe and learn now. I think that's great. And I think that we should all do that. And one of the things I'm going to do, because we created a square space for the podcast, hmm. I'm going to list all of, we'll go through all the things that you've mentioned, like Bible, what's it called? The Bible for Normal People. Bible for Normal People, the... the, the the every secret book, you don't have to, the secret. We'll go through as we go through. We, we we've been recording. I, so, I can't believe I didn't tell you this, but we've been recording this whole time. We'll share those links and everything on the website, and probably I think there's a way to do it within the within the actual like place where it's the not even yeah. you know what I'm trying to say. So because you've shared a lot of really interesting resources, and I'm yeah. actually inspired to. I would really love to. What's the Bible app that you're using? U version. U version, mm-hmm. like you. Yeah. Like the letter Y-O-U. U. Oh, Y-O-U. Um, yeah. Um, and just version. Um, it's, uh, I think they call it that because you can pick whatever translation of the Bible that you want to okay. use. I think that's really cool. And I I think we're just going to have to end it there because we're going to have to do another Kara's Corner. Another time. This is going to be a regular se- segment. Well, as regular, regular as we'd like, yes. Yeah. So thank you so much, Thank you all. That's a wrap. We're good. This podcast, Where You Are, was created by Jimmy Ellenberg and edited by Fox Williams. The introductory music was Bright in the Corner, Where You Are, a song performed by Billy Pollard and created by Ina Dudley Ogden and Charles Hutchinson Gabriel. The interlude music, Dead Inside, was taken from the Little Spoon album by Patricia Taxon. All music was used with permission, Thank you for listening. Have a nice day, wherever you are.